invite you to turn to Colossians 3.18. It'll be up on the screen as you can see the title. Some of you might want to run for the exit. Um, I'm going to preach on submissive wives, and then I'm leaving town for a week <laughs> on vacation. But uh, Pastor Stan will be here, so if you have any complaints, you can talk to Stan, and uh, I will return, I hope, if I don't get fired. Um, seriously, though, I worked my way through the text, and this is our verse, and so we come to it and want to be faithful to it. When I first came to this church uh, 24 years ago this month, uh, I was working through First Peter, and I came to First Peter 3, which teaches a similar theme. And that week, a young woman angrily came to my office and said, you shouldn't preach on things like that. And I said, well, you know, did I misrepresent what the text said? She said, no, you taught it fine. And I said, well, did I speak with kind of a wrong attitude? And she said, no, your attitude was fine. I said, what was the problem? And she said, I brought my friend who's a feminist, and she'll never come back to this church again. I just said to her, well, I said, God has a way of doing things like that. And uh, I said to her, sometimes I have people say to me, I brought my father, and he says the church is after your money, and you preached on money. And I said, well, it was in the text. I'm just preaching the text. And so if you're here as a visitor, my only thing is, husbands, if you're here with your wife, you have to come back in two weeks and hear verse 19. And if you're not here, go online and listen to it. All the messages are online. Um, But, uh, yeah, to be fair, we need both sides. But today, Colossians 3.18, there's a bulletin uh, outline, and there are text, uh, full-printed messages of the manuscript at both exits, and all those are on the church website as well. Paul writes, wives, be subject to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. I don't know of another verse in all of the Bible that is as concise and obvious in its meaning, and yet so controversial and difficult to apply as Colossians 3.18 Uh, On the surface, it's pretty simple. Paul is simply saying wives must submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's what the verse says. And if there are no questions, then we can all go home now. Um, But the obvious simplicity becomes incredibly complex when we begin to sort out this verse. For one thing, I think there are probably as many subjective opinions about what submission means as there are people represented here and as there are people on this planet who know about the verse. I think when we think submissive wives, many picture, if you're a little older and you used to see the All in the Family TV show with Archie Bunker barking orders at his somewhat dim-witted submissive wife and she hopping to to obey his every wish and command. Um, I one time was counseling with a couple, and and uh, the husband was complaining that his wife wasn't submissive. And so I asked him, I said, well, what do you think that means? And he said, when I say paint the house black, she picks up the brush and starts painting. That was his view of submission. I 
sorry to say that couple's no longer together, and I understand why. Uh, But in a similar vein, some think that submission means just the total passivity of, of the wife, that the husband makes all the decisions without consulting with her or without taking her needs, her desires, her wisdom into account. And so he controls the money. He determines where the family will live. He determines whether he'll take a new job, buy a new car, all of the above. Everything is in his lap, and um, she passively goes along. One time, I remember in seminary, I heard about a guy, and he was actually a Ph.D. graduate, and he came home and announced to his wife that they were going to pack up and move all the way across the country to a place where she had no friends, no background, no neighbors, no relatives, nothing, and uh, he had not discussed it with her. He just came home, announced this out of the blue, and then he couldn't understand why she wasn't just thrilled with this new ministry opportunity for him. Again, you just think, really? Um, Others think that the submissive wife means that she does all the household chores. You know, she does the dishes, she does the cooking, she does the cleaning, she does the shopping, she watches the kids. It's all her stuff. He works, makes a living, brings home the paycheck, and watches sports on TV. But that's his role. Her role is everything else. I've seen that play out. Doesn't work well. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, to throw more into the hopper, we have uh, many Christians who now believe in what is called egalitarianism. And that is that there are no role distinctions whatever in the church. Women can be pastors and elders and so on, or in the home. And so there should be what they call mutual submission. Uh, No one exercises final authority, and they argue that the biblical commands, such as this one, for a wife to be subject to her husband were culturally determined, that Paul gave this command because in that male-dominated culture of that time, if he had given the truth that everyone is equal, it would have um, clouded the gospel, interfered with the truth of the gospel. But now that we live in this more liberated culture where everyone knows that there are no role distinctions, we can cast all that gender-based stuff away. Now, as if the subject were already not difficult enough, we have another problem, and that is the widespread incidence of wife abuse. And some blame it on this kind of teaching that a wife should be submissive to her husband. Uh, This doesn't apply to marriage, but I got this statistic this week that one in three women have been the object of some form of physical violence from an intimate partner, so could include couples living together. Uh, One in five women have been the object of severe physical violence violence by an intimate partner, and one in five instances of domestic violence involves a weapon. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's out there. Uh, If you think that, you're not in touch with reality. 
the late Chuck Colson told this story on his Breakpoint radio program back in 2009. He said, a woman I'll call Marlene went to her pastor for help. My husband is abusing me, she told him. Last week, he knocked me down and kicked me. He broke one of my ribs. Marlene's pastor was sympathetic. He prayed with Marlene, and then he sent her home. Try to be more submissive, he advised. After all, your husband is your spiritual head. Two weeks later, Marlene was dead, killed by an abusive husband. Her church could not believe it. Marlene's husband was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon. How could he have done such a thing? Colson concludes, tragically, studies reveal that spousal abuse is just as common within evangelical churches as anywhere else, and this means that about 25% of Christian homes witness abuse of some kind. That's a horrible, horrible statistic. I hope that this church is nowhere close, but that's what he said. And, of course, the statistics on physical abuse do not include so-called emotional and uh, verbal abuse that often happens. So, in light of all of those confusing factors, then, how do we approach Paul's admonition here to wives to be submissive to their husbands? First of all, we need to answer the question, what is submission? What is submission? Uh, submission, in its basic meaning, is to put oneself under another's authority. And the Greek word that's used here is a military term, and it means simply to put oneself in rank under another person. God has ordained the principle of authority in number, a number of different spheres. As citizens, we are to be subject to the government authorities. Uh, also, Paul, as we'll see when we get down to verse 22, says slaves are to be subject to their masters. Uh, church members are to be in submission to their leaders and children to their parents, as we'll see in verse 20, and here, wives to their husbands. It's significant that every time in the New Testament that the Bible speaks to the role of a wife it mentions the same thing, that she is to be subject to her husband. Um, I know of Ephesians 5, here in Colossians 3, Titus 2, 5, and 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, having said that, let's be honest. We don't like the idea of submission. Uh, it grates on us, doesn't it? And we've all seen abuses of authority. Uh, but before we react to it, let me bring in some mitigating factors. First of all, whenever God ordains authority, it is always for the protection and blessing of those who are under authority. It is never for the advantage of the one in authority. God loves people, and in his wisdom, he has ordained this principle of authority in different spheres, as I said, for our benefit. Now, we've all seen abuses. 
when those who are in government authority abuse their authority, they um, feather their own pockets with uh, public money, they uh, use their power to gain position for themselves or their families and so on, they are corrupting the authority that God delegated to them, and we have to trust that if they aren't brought to justice in this life, they will be when they stand before God in judgment. And the same in the home. If a husband uses his authority to lord it over his family, uh, they serve him, and he's kind of king of the roost, so to speak, in the family, then he is abusing his authority. Guys, let me just say this. Greater authority means greater accountability before God and greater uh, responsibility for what he's entrusted to you. And it should worry you, not make you feel great about your position. Uh, It is a frightening thing that someday we will give an account. A second factor to consider is that it's important to recognize husbands are never commanded, exercise authority over your wife. Uh, Get your wife to submit. That is not in the Bible. It does state as a matter of fact that the husband is the head of the wife. Uh, The commands to submit, however, are given to the wife, never to the husband. And the husband's command, and that's why I said you should be here in two weeks, the husband is always commanded, love your wife. And in Ephesians 5, it's clear that that love is a sacrificial love, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, Whenever couples come for marriage counseling, I can count on something. They come like this. He's blaming her, she's blaming him. Uh, He complains, she's not submissive and doesn't meet my needs, and she complains, he doesn't love me as he should, and consider my needs, and so on. And they're doing that. And if I can successfully get them to do this, they're going to make it. If they walk out the door still blaming, it ain't going to work. And so we have to face the command to us. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25, love your wives, and the standard is given just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And wives, Ephesians 5.22, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And there will not be abuse in that kind of a relationship. Christ doesn't abuse his church. And a, a husband who loves his wife in that way will never abuse his wife or his children. A third mitigating factor is that to be in, in authority does not in any way imply the inferiority of the wife or the superiority of the husband. In fact, Let's be honest, guys. Many of us have wives who are superior in intellect and maybe superior in spiritual maturity to where we're at. And that's the way it is. And in Galatians 5, uh, 3.28, Paul affirms that a wife is 
in Christ the same as a husband. There's no distinction on our position in Christ. Peter calls the wife in 1 Peter 3, 7, a fellow heir of the grace of life. We're in this together with the Lord. But as I said, God has ordained this principle of authority for the orderly functioning in government, in the church, and in the home. And if we resist God's authority, Paul says in Romans 13, we're resisting the God who ordained it. Now, another factor is then to put ourselves under the authority of another does not imply passivity. So a submissive wife isn't one who just meekly goes along with everything, saying, yes, dear, whatever you want, dear, even though inside she disagrees. Um, Close relationships are always built on truthfulness. If a husband doesn't know what his wife is thinking, what she's feeling, all of that, then um, she is subverting the relationship. She's not being truly submissive. Certainly there's a right way to express disagreement, but that disagreement needs to be expressed or the husband doesn't have a clue what's, what's going on and distance results in the relationship. Also, I believe that a submissive wife should uh, properly confront her husband's sin. Uh, some mistake in 1 Peter 3.1 when Peter says wives should be uh, win their husbands without a word if their husband is disobedient by her godly behavior. He's not saying you don't say anything. He's, he's emphasizing something and saying, don't preach at him. Don't nag him. That's not going to win him. Do it primarily by your godly behavior, but certainly um, in the context of living a godly wife, a life, a wife can lovingly speak to her husband about his disobedience and point out to him that it's damaging their relationship and she wants their relationship to be good. And if she doesn't speak the truth in love, then she's not fulfilling her biblical duty. So submission does not mean uh, that she cannot confront sin in her husband. And um, a godly wife will do that. Also, let me mention that true submission is communicated both by attitudes and by actions. I believe that a wife can be strong and she can be even outspoken and yet be submissive in spirit as long as she respects her husband and backs his leadership at the times when she may disagree. Uh, On the other hand, some wives are outwardly submissive, but inwardly they're defiant. Or inwardly, I've seen wives who they make it look like they're going along with their husband, and then they do an end-run play through deception or manipulation to get their own way. God doesn't want begrudging kind of compliance where a wife says to her husband, well, I'll submit, but I know you're wrong, and I'm going to let you know every day of your life after it doesn't work out how wrong you were and how right I was. That's not the spirit of submission in the Bible. True submission, I think, means after a couple has talked openly, understood each other thoroughly, um, prayed together, if there's still a disagreement, a wife then yields to her husband's authority and she 
uh, backs him in his responsibility to lead under God. I will say this, Marla and I have been married now over 42 years, and I've asked her, can you think of a single time when you've had to submit where you disagreed with me? And she can't come up with anything. We've always worked uh, together in talking it through and come to uh, a mutual consensus on things as far as, as either of us remember. So this is a really rare thing when a husband has to so-called pull rank and say, you know, uh, I, I just can't go that way. We have to go this way. That should be really an unusual experience, and it should pain you, husband, to do that because you know, whoa, I'm stepping out here. I'm going against what my wife says. Now, maybe you're wondering still, well, couldn't the submission of wives just been a cultural concession on, on Paul's part? I mean, after all, uh, when we get to the slavery issue, he concedes Slaves, be subject to your masters, even though slavery is not a good thing. You know, he didn't want to cause a rebellion there. So maybe he's just going along with the culture. Now that we live in this culture, we can cast this off and get rid of all the hierarchy stuff and just have an egalitarian marriage. So the second question I want to answer is, is the submission of wives valid in our day? And I believe that the submission of wives is valid for all times and cultures because, as Paul says in our text, it's fitting in the Lord. It's fitting in the Lord. In God's original creation in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, the man and the woman together were to reflect God's image and to have dominion over his creation. The image of God, in part, is that the eternal Son submits voluntarily to the Father to carry out the divine plan of um, having victory on the cross that would defeat Satan, God's enemy. So the Son is co-eternal with the Father. He is equal with the Father in every way, but he voluntarily submits to carry out the divine plan. And the husband and the wife are to relate to one another in a similar way. The wife is totally equal with her husband as a person, but she voluntarily submits in order to reflect God's image and to fulfill God's purpose of dominion over Satan. And Paul develops this theme further in Ephesians chapter 5. And by the way, as I mentioned when we started Colossians, Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 4, I want you guys to read the letter that's coming from Laodicea. And many scholars believe that's the letter to the Ephesians. It was a circular letter. And so I think Paul is so brief here, just one verse to the wife, one to the husband, because he's assuming you're going to read my longer treatment in Ephesians. And in Ephesians, Paul there says, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so wives should be to their husbands. And the reason is, again, because through Christ and the church, remember in Colossians here as well as in Ephesians, Paul calls Christ and the church the new man. The new man, and he says it's been created by God. What's the point? Adam and Eve were the first creation. They lost 
what God gave them to do to have dominion through the fall. In the new man, the new creation, Christ in the church, God is regaining dominion over his enemy, and Christian marriage as a unit of the church is to reflect God's image, and that it happens through the sacrificial love of the husband for his wife, even as Christ loved the church, and the voluntary submission of the wife to her husband as the church submits to Christ. That's God's plan. Now, one way that an enemy can defeat its foe is to get insurrection among the ranks. If, if in the army uh, the en- enemy comes in and they can get all the um, non-officers to go against the officers and be disgruntled and raise all kinds of rebellion and insurrection and all of that, they've just about won the war. And so when Satan wanted to thwart God's plan, he came to the wife. He didn't go to Adam. And he got her to do an end run around Adam's authority to eat of the fruit and usurp his rightful position as head of his family. And today his strategy is the same. He promises greater happiness to wives if they'll get out from under this repressive authority of their husbands. Of course, it should never be repressive. It should always be for her blessing and protection. But he presents it that way. And so she goes along with our culture. And I believe that there are many Christian wives and many Christian leaders in this egalitarian movement that don't understand this whole theological thing. God created Adam and Eve in his image to reflect his glory and to have dominion. That was lost. Now it's in the church. And so they buy into our culture. And this whole idea of egalitarianism, by the way, uh, just came in in the last 50 years. You can go back in church history and it's not there. But they buy into our culture and, in my opinion, play right into Satan's hand. Uh, There's an excellent book on this, by the way, on uh, rediscovering biblical manhood and womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem are the editors. And uh, if it's too much for you, and it's kind of a long scholarly book, there's just a short, it's not even a 100-page, 50 questions on this subject uh, that they condense that book into, and I would recommend that. But what I'm saying is this. The principle of headship, then, of the husband and submission of the wife is not cultural. It goes all the way back to God's design and creation where we are to reflect his glory. And, uh, and it's to recover what was lost at the fall. And the analogy is Christ in the church. So that's what Paul means when he says it is fitting in the Lord for the wife to submit herself to her husband. Um, beyond the theological reasons, I think there are some other good reasons for this pattern. God made us as male and female because we each have distinctive strengths as genders and we have distinctive weaknesses and needs. Each gender does. And I believe that when each of us, husband and wife, dies to ourself, dies to the I want to be first kind of mindset and instead in love serve one another as God ordains in our various roles, 
both partners are fulfilled. Um, And, you know, I think a godly, loving husband is going to provide protection and support, both financial and emotional, for his wife. And women love that and need it when a husband is sensitive and loving and caring. Um, And, of course, the wife supplies lacks in the husband as well. But let me talk more specifically about how does submission work out in practice. And I can't be thorough here. I'm sure I'll raise more questions than I'll answer. But the practice of submission involves an attitude of respect and a response to the husband's leadership. There's only one verse that I know of in the New Testament that says that a wife should love her husband. That's Titus 2.4 in the context of submission. But neither Ephesians nor 1 Peter, nor for that matter here in Colossians uh, 3, mention a wife's love. But both Ephesians and 1 Peter mention a wife's respect for her husband in connection with submission. And I believe that respect is a crucial aspect of submission. We don't respect um, our government, or if you're in the military, you don't respect the officers over you if, you know, you make snide comments and sarcastic remarks and go behind their back and cut down. That's not submission. Submission involves respect. Here's what happens often in marriage, however. Couples start marriage with high expectations. They're in love. Love will conquer all. And then after a few months, the honeymoon wears off. And often this is an unperceived process because they don't identify, I expected him to be this way. I expected her to be this way. It just kind of happens as we live life. And so these disappointments set in. And the husband And often, here's our weakness, guys. Husbands are not as relationally tuned in as they ought to be. And so husbands, they're good at what they do at work. And so they pour themselves into where they're good at work. Meanwhile, their wife is hurting relationally and emotionally at at home. And she tries to remodel her husband by nagging him about all of his shortcomings and how he's not meeting her emotional needs. And he's clueless, you know, about all of this, Um, but he's pretty confident at work, so he ups his job, and he's getting promotions, and he thinks, hey, I'm providing a good living. What more does this woman want? You know, I'm doing my part, and all she does is nags me about all this uh, relational stuff, and then maybe at home, he reads an article or listens to a sermon, so he goes home, and he tries. I'm going to relate to my wife. I'm going to lead her spiritually, and It's kind of inept, and um, she resists it. She doesn't respect his leadership. She's pretty soured by now on him as a spiritual leader, and his relational skills are low, and so the end result is just increasing emotional distance in the marriage, and sadly, sometimes it leads to divorce. Now, if instead of that downward cycle a wife will work at genuinely showing uh, her husband respect and acceptance and appreciation for every area that she can uh, and affirm his attempts to leader at leadership, I believe it will lead to increasing emotional closeness and intimacy. 
Let me just say to you, as a wife, men react to nagging in one of two ways. Either they flee or they fight. You know, a nice guy will flee. Oh, boy, she's nagging me, and he just runs for cover. A more belligerent husband will fight back. Neither one leads to closeness in a relationship. First um, Peter 3, though, says that even a disobedient husband may be one as he sees his wife's quiet and gentle spirit. Part of submission means you look for ways to please your husband and you do them. Maybe it's actions, not words, but what pleases him? What makes him happy? I know the reaction. Why should I make that lousy guy happy, you know? He's just making me miserable. Well, you know, marriage is never 50-50. If you wait for your husband to come up to his 50 so you'll meet him 50, your marriage is doomed. Marriage is 100-100. And I know again, well, you know, I'd meet his needs if he weren't so selfish and meet mine. No, 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 that's not how you go. Meet his needs. Meet his needs. And that's the quiet and gentle spirit that's precious in the sight of the Lord, and I might add, in the sight of husbands. And Peter says, that's often how God will change your partner. Many years ago in California, a wife came into my office one day on the verge of divorce. She, for support, had two of my elders' wives with her, trying to argue that she needed to leave her husband. Um, I had led her husband to make a profession of faith in Christ, but he was, at best, a young believer. And what would happen is every morning he would leave early for a long commute. The family was hardly out of bed when he was taken off. He worked long days to unwind on the way home. He'd stop off at a bar and have a beer or two with some buddies. He'd get home late after the family had finished dinner He wanted his dinner warmed up by then. He would eat his dinner, sit in front of the tube until he fell asleep. And that was the cycle. And he was totally disengaged from his family. So she was frustrated. She had had it with this marriage, and she wanted out. So I listened for a long time. I asked a lot of clarifying questions and so on. And I finally said, well, you know, let me me share with you what God's word says. And I took her to 1 Peter 3, and I said, Rather than criticizing and nagging your husband about where he's failing, and I admit he is, um, why don't you do this? When he comes home, greet him warmly, thank him for his hard work on behalf of the family. And I said, your job is to make your home a refuge for your husband so that there's nowhere else he would rather be than in in your home. And right now, he takes cover. That's why he stops at the bar. His, nobody criticizes him there. Nobody nags him there. You know, he's, he's accepted there. So I said, accept him, love him, make him just feel like you are so glad when he's there. And thank him for all his hard work. Well, to my somewhat surprise, because I don't bat very well in marriage counseling, but she went home and did it. And he began to change. He stopped going to the bar. He started coming home earlier to have dinner with the family. He even started reading the family from the Bible at the dinner table and leading them in a little devotional. And when I left that church, she came up to me with tears streaming down her cheeks. 
And she said, if you had not stuck to what the word of God said that day, I would not have my family today together. And they're still together. And we got a Christmas letter from them last, last year. So it doesn't always work. It's not magic. Sometimes it still doesn't work. But that's God's way of how to win a disobedient husband. Practice that attitude of respect, that response to the husband's maybe inept leadership. But still, one final question. What do we do with a wife who has an abusive husband or a husband who is disobedient to the Lord? And again, I'm probably going to raise more questions than I answer here, but here's it in a nutshell. A wife should submit to a disobedient husband except when she or the children are in danger or when he commands her to do something that goes against God's word. Uh, I want to consider here just briefly 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, and I have a whole sermon on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 you can look at. But Peter says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Disobedient to the word probably means they're unbelievers. They may profess to be Christians, but their behavior isn't um, godly. Sadly, there are a lot of difficult, cantankerous, Christian, professing Christian men. That's not in line with love, which should characterize us, but there are men like that. What should a wife do? First of all, she needs to make sure that both her behavior and her attitudes and her words are chaste and respectful and that she, as Peter goes on to say, has a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, Chaste means pure and undefiled. In other words, if the husband is abusive in speech, she shouldn't come back with a zinger to match him. He calls her a name. She doesn't up the ante with a worse name. 1 Peter 3 goes on to say, instead of an insult for an insult, give a blessing instead. And that may not be a word of blessing. It may just be something that blesses your husband. Um, If you've been angry and bitter as a wife, the Bible is clear. We saw it in, in Colossians 3, verse 8. You have to put aside all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Um. The word gentle in in 1 Peter 3 is the same word we encountered in Colossians 3.12. It has the idea of strength under control. So it doesn't mean you're a doormat, but it does mean you control your anger. Uh, The word quiet in 1 Peter 3 doesn't mean, again, never saying anything. The idea is you're not contentious and argumentative. That just escalates. Uh, Now, a wife should never join a husband in his sinful behavior. And if he makes a profession of being a church member or a Christian, and he's urging you to do something sinful, first appeal to him on the basis of Scripture. And if you resist that, you may need to come to the elders of the church who may need to exercise discipline. They may need to confront him. 
If he's not a believer, then 1 Peter 3 goes on to say she should be ready to explain why she holds to the faith, uh, but she can't join him in disobedience. Now, if a disobedient husband is verbally but not physically abusive, a wife needs to make sure she's not provoking him by, you know, taunting him or baiting him. Uh, Sometimes, though, godly behavior will make an unbeliever angry because you convict them by your very life. And that's the way it is. And Peter goes on to say, if you suffer for doing what's right, then entrust your soul to a faithful creator and do what's right. Um, On the other hand, if if a husband either threatens violence or is violent, and a wife is fearful for her safety or the safety of the kids... She needs to get out of there. I'm not saying divorce, but at least get to a safe place. I don't think any of us are called to stay in a situation as that wife that Chuck Colson talked about where her life is threatened. Um, If a husband has actually been physically violent or if he's using illegal drugs, he's breaking the law. And we have law to protect us. That's why God ordained civil government. And so I believe there a wife should call the authorities and let the police deal with the guy. He needs to go to jail if he's doing those things. No man should be allowed to bully his family and make them live in constant fear because he's got a violent temper. Now, coming back again to 1 Peter 3, winning the disobedient husband then without a word means that you set a godly example in the face of his ungodly behavior And sometimes, there's no guarantee, but sometimes God will use your example to win that husband to Jesus Christ. Uh, Even if he doesn't come to Christ, though, at least you have a clear conscience and you know you've been pleasing to the Lord. Now, let me just close by saying, if you're in a difficult situation as a wife, please get some godly counsel. Find a godly, mature woman who can pray with you, give you counsel, support you emotionally. Um, And and the command for a husband again, uh, or for a wife to be submissive, is never licensed for a husband to be abusive. All abuse is sin. And and it should not happen in Christian homes. Uh, A wife's gentle, submissive, quiet spirit is a way God's way to win a disobedient husband to faith in Christ. And the reason is it follows the example of the Lord Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23. He says that Jesus, while being reviled, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so submission to God in this and to his authority that he's ordained is never easy um, when that authority is not godly, but I believe it is fitting in the Lord. Again, if you need counsel, uh, the pastors here or a godly woman to woman would be certainly available to give help. And so I hope this has been helpful in explaining what scripture means. Let's bow together. Dear Father, this is hard stuff. It meets the road right where we 
live, and I know there are difficult situations represented here this morning. Oh, Father, I pray you would bring repentance where there's any verbal or, God forbid, any physical abuse. And, Father, that is so displeasing to you. I pray you would help us as husbands to sacrificially lay down our lives for our wives daily by killing our selfishness, our anger. And I pray, Lord, you would give a godly and sweet spirit to all the ladies that they might represent Christ in their homes. And we want our homes to reflect your glory. Father, if any are here who have never come to Jesus, this teaching this morning is going to baffle them. But I pray that you would use it to show them how countercultural your word is and how wise it is, and that they would rep- recognize that as sinners they're alienated from you, but that you made provision for all sinners to come through the blood of Jesus. And so I pray you would draw to yourself any who don't know the Savior. And I ask in his name, amen.